Volume One, Chapter One of A Strange World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. A Strange World by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. One, Four Players a fair slope of land in buttercup time just when may the capricious melts into tender june a slope of fertile pasture within two miles of the city of ebersham whose cathedral towers rise tall in the blue dim distance a wealth of hedgerow flowers on every side and all the air full of their faint sweet perfume mixed with odorous breath of the fast perishing hawthorn two figures are seated in a corner of the meadow beneath the umbrage of an ancient thorn not arcadian or pastoral figures by any means not phyllis the milkmaid with sun-browned brow and carnation cheeks not corridan fluting sweetly on his tuneful pipe as he reclines at her feet but two figures which carry the unmistakable stamp of city life in every feature and every garment one is a tall slender girl of seventeen with a pale tired face and a look of having outgrown her strength shot up too swiftly from childhood to girlhood like a fast-growing weed the other is a man who may be any age from forty to sixty a man with sparse grey hair crowning a high forehead bluish-grey eyes under thick dark brows a red nose a mouth that looks as if it had been made for eating and drinking rather than oratory a heavy jaw and a figure inclining to corpulence the girl's eyes are large and clear and changeful of that dark blue-grey which often looks like black the delicate young face possesses no other strong claim to be admired and would be a scarcely noticeable countenance perhaps save for those grey eyes the raiment of both man and girl is of the shabbiest his threadbare coat has become luminous with much friction a kind of phosphorescent brightness pervades the sleeves like the oleaginous scum that pollutes the surface of a city river the tall hat which lies beside him in the deep grass has a look of having been soaped his boots have obviously been soled and heeled and have arrived at that debatable period in boot life when they must either be soled again or hie them straight to the dust-hole the girl's gown is faded and too short for her long legs her mantle a flimsy silken thing of an almost forgotten fashion her hat a fabric of tawdry net and ribbon patched together by her own unskilled hands she sits with her lap full of bluebells and hawthorn looking absently at the landscape with those solemn towers rising out of the valley how grand they are father the father is agreeably occupied in filling a cutty pipe embrowned by much smoking which he handles fondly as if it were a sentient thing what's grand the cathedral towers i could look at them for hours together with that wide blue sky above them and the streets and houses clustering at their feet there's a bird's nest in one of them oh so high up squeezed behind a horrid grinning face do you know father i've stood and looked at it sometimes till i've strained my eyes with looking and i've wished i was a bird in that nest and to live up there in the cool shadow of the stone no care no trouble no work and all that blue sky above me for ever and ever the sky isn't always blue stupid answered the father contemptuously your bird's nest would be a nice place in stormy weather you talk like a fool justina with your towers and nests and blue skies and you're getting a young woman now and ought to have some sense as for cathedral towns for my part i've never believed in em never saw good business for a fortnight on end in a cathedral town it's all very well for a race week or you may pull up with a military bespeak if there's a garrison 
but in a general way as far as the profession goes your cathedral town is a dead failure i wasn't thinking of the theatre father said the girl with a contemptuous shrug of her thin shoulders i hate the theatre and everything belonging to it there's a nice young woman to quarrel with your bread and butter bread and ashes i think father she said looking downward at the flowers with a moody face it tastes bitter enough for that did ever any one hear of such discontent ejaculated the father lifting his eyes towards the heavens as if invoking jove himself as a witness of his child's depravity to go and run down the pro hasn't the pro nourished you and brought you up and maintained you since you were no higher than that he spread his dingy hand a foot or so above the buttercups to illustrate his remark the pro of which he spoke with so fond an air was the calling of an actor and this elderly gentleman in threadbare raiment was mr matthew elgood a performer of that particular line of dramatic business known in his own circle as the first heavies or in less technical phrase mr elgood was the heavy man the king in hamlet iago friar lawrence the robber chief of melodrama the relentless father of the ponderous top-booted and pigtailed comedy and justina elgood his seventeen-year-old daughter commonly called judy was she juliet or desdemona ophelia or imogene no miss elgood had not yet soared above the humblest drudgery her line was general utility in which she worked with the unrequited patience of an east-end shirt-maker hasn't the pro supported you from the cradle growled mr elgood between short thoughtful puffs at his pipe had i ever a cradle father the girl demanded wonderingly if you were always moving about then as you are now a cradle must have been a great inconvenience i've a sort of recollection of seeing you in one for all that replied mr elgood shutting his eyes with a meditating air as if he were casting his gaze back into the past a clumsy edifice of straw bulky and awkward of shape it might have held properties pretty well but i don't remember travelling with it i dare say your mother borrowed the thing of her landlady in the days of your infancy we were at slowberry in somersetshire and the slowberry people are uncommonly friendly i make no doubt your mother borrowed it i dare say father we're great people for borrowing why not asked mr elgood lightly give and take you know judy that's a christian sentiment yes father but we always take man is the slave of circumstances my dear give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee turn not away that's the gospel justina if i have been rather in the position of the borrower than the lender that has been my misfortune and not my fault had i been the possessor of ten thousand per annum i would have been the last of men to refuse to take a box-ticket for a fellow-creature's benefit the girl gave a faint sigh and began to arrange the bluebells and hawthorn into a nosegay somewhat listlessly as if even her natural joy in these things were clouded by a settled gloom within her mind you're in the first piece aren't you judy inquired matthew elgood after indulging himself with a snatch of slumber his elbow deep in the buttercups and his head rested on his hand yes father with a sigh the countess you know the countess in the stranger a most profitable part don't put on that hat and feather you wore last time we played the piece it made the gallery laugh i wonder whether you'll ever be fit for the juvenile lead judy he went on meditatively do you know sometimes i am afraid you never will you're so gawky and so listless 
the gawkiness would be nothing you'll get over that when you've done growing i dare say but your heart is not in your profession justina there's the rub my heart in it echoed the girl with a dreary laugh why i hate it father you must know that hasn't it kept me ignorant and shabby and looked down upon all the days of my life since i was two years old and went on as the child in pizarro hasn't it kept me hanging about the wings till midnight from year's end to year's end when other children were snug in bed with a mother to look after them haven't i been told often enough that i have no talents and no good looks to help me and that i must be a drudge all my life no good looks well i'm not so sure about that said the father thoughtfully talent i admit you are deficient of judy but your looks even now are by no means despicable and will improve with time you have a fine pair of eyes and a complexion that lights up uncommonly well i have seen leading ladies earning their three to four guineas a week with less personal advantages i wish i could earn a good salary father for your sake but i should never be fond of acting i've seen too much of the theatre if i'd been a young lady now shut up in a drawing-room all my life and brought to the theatre for the first time to see romeo and juliet i could fancy myself wanting to play juliet but i've seen too much of the ladder juliet stands on on the balcony scene and the dirty-looking man that holds it steady for her and the way she quarrels with mrs whoppers the nurse between the acts i've read the play often father since you've told me to study juliet and i've tried to fancy her a real living woman in verona under a cloudless sky as blue as these flowers but i can't i can only think of miss vilroy in her whitey-brown satin and mrs whoppers in her old green and yellow brocade and the battered old garden scene and the palace flats we use so often and the scene-shifters in their dirty shirt-sleeves all the poetry has been taken out of it for me father that's because yours is a commonplace mind child answered mr elgood with a superior air look at me now if i feel as dull as ditchwater when i go on the stage the first hearty round of applause kindles the poetic fire and the second fans it into a blaze the divine afflatus judy that's what you want the afflatus i suppose you mean applause father i know i don't get much of that no justina i mean the breath of the gods the sacred wind which breathes from the nostrils of genius which gives life and shape to the imaginings of the dramatic poet which inspires a keen and occasionally an elgood i suppose you didn't hear of their encoring my exit in iago on tuesday night yes father i heard of it come judy we must be going said mr elgood raising himself from his luxurious repose among the buttercups after looking at a battered silver watch it's past four and we've a good two miles to walk before we get our teas oh how i wish we could stay here just as long as we like and then go quietly home in the starlight to some cottage among those trees over there cottages among trees are proverbially damp and the kind of existence you talk of mooning about a meadow and going home to a cottage would be intolerably dull for a man with any pretension to intellect oh father we might have books and music and flowers and birds and animals and a few friends perhaps who would like us and respect us if we were not on stage i don't think we need be dull the varied pages of this busy world comprise the only book i care to study justina as for birds flowers and animals i consider them alike messy and unprofitable 
i never knew a man who had a pet dog come to much good it's a sign of a weak mind they were both standing by this time looking across the verdant undulating landscape to the valley where nestled the city of ebersham the roofs and pinnacles did not seem far off but there was that intervening sea of meadowland about the navigation whereof these wanderers began to feel somewhat uncertain do you know your way home judy the girl looked across the meadows doubtfully i'm not quite sure father but i fancy we came across that field over there where there's such a lot of sorrel fancy be hanged exclaimed mr elgood impatiently i've got to be on the stage at half-past seven o'clock and you lead me astray in this confounded solitary place to suit your childish whims and don't know how to get me back it would be a nice thing if i were to lose a week's salary through your tomfoolery no fear of that father we shall find our way back somehow depend upon it why we can't go very far astray when we can see the cathedral towers yes and we might wander about in sight of them from now till midnight without getting any nearer to em you ought to have known better justina justina hung her head abashed by this stern reproof i dare say somebody will come by presently father and we can ask do you dare say then i don't dare say anything of the sort we've been sitting in this blessed meadow full two hours without seeing a mortal except a solitary ploughboy who went across with a can of something half an hour ago beer most likely i know the sight of it made me abominably thirsty and according to the doctrine of averages there's no chance of another human being for the next hour never you ask me to come for a walk with you again justina after being trapped in this manner look father there's someone cried justina some too said mr elgood swells by the cut of their jibs down for the races i dare say ebersham was a city which had its two brief seasons of glory every year the ebersham spring and the ebersham summer were meetings famous in the sporting world but the spring to the summer was as omega to alpha in the sidereal heavens or taking a more earthly standard of magnitude while beds for the accommodation of visitors were freely offered at half a crown during the spring meeting the poorest pallet on hire in ebersham was worth half a guinea in the summer the strangers approached at a leisurely pace two men in the springtime of their youth clothed in grey one tall strong of limb broad of chest somewhat slovenly of attire loose cravat grey felt hat stout sportsmanlike boots fishing-rod under his arm the other shorter slighter smaller dressed with a certain girlish prettiness and neatness that smacked of eton both were smoking as they came slowly strolling along the field-path on the other side of the irregular hawthorn hedge the younger and smaller held a paper cigarette between his girlish lips the other smoked a black muzzled clay which would not have been out of keeping with the costume and bearing of an irish navvy they came to a gap in the hedge which brought them close to the strollers gentlemen can you enlighten me as to the nearest way to ebersham asked mr elgood with a grandiose air which the prolonged exercise of his avocation had made second nature the elder of the strangers stared at him blankly with that unseeing gaze of the deep thinker and went on pulling at his blackened pipe the younger smiled kindly and made haste to answer with a shy eagerness just a little stammer in his speech at first which was not unpleasing i am really at a loss to direct you he said we are strangers here ourselves only came to ebersham last night for the races i opine interrupted mr elgood 
not exactly for the races replied the young man doubtfully you came for the races jim said the taller stranger looking down at his companion as from an altitude of wisdom and experience i came to see that you were not fleeced there are no rogues like the rogues that haunt a race-course this with a dark glance at the actor he looks the image of a tout thought the tall stranger his fancies had been up aloft in his own particular cloudland when the wayfarers accosted him and he was slowly coming down to the level of a workaday life only this instant had he become conscious of the girl's presence justina stood in the shadow of her father's bulky figure making herself as narrow as she possibly could her detractors in the theatre found fault with that narrowness of justina's she had been disadvantageously likened to gaspipes maypoles and other unsubstantial objects and was considered a mere profile of a girl an outline sketch only worth half the salary that might have been given to a plumper damsel good heavens elgood the manager had exclaimed once when justina played a page when will your daughter begin to have legs the tall stranger's slow gaze had now descended upon justina to that bashful maiden conscious of her gawkiness the darkly bright eyes seemed awful as the front of jove himself she shrank behind her father dazzled as if by a sunburst there was such power in maurice clissold's face we came here anyhow following the windings of yonder trout stream said clissold with a backward glance at the valley i haven't the faintest notion how we are to get back except by turning our noses to the cathedral and then following them religiously we can hardly fail to get there sooner or later if we are true to our noses justina began to laugh as if it had been a green-room jokelet and then checked herself blushing vehemently she felt it was taking a liberty to be amused by this tall stranger perhaps time is no object to you sir said mr elgood not the slightest i don't think time ever has been any object to me except when i was gated at oxford replied clissold to me sir it is vital if i do not reach yon city before the clock strikes seven the prospects of a struggling commonwealth are blighted father remonstrated the girl plucking his sleeve what do these gentlemen know about commonwealths i have studied the subject but superficially in the pages of our friend cicero said clissold lightly modern scholars call him Kikero, but your elder erudition might hardly accept the kappa the commonwealth to which i allude sir is a company of actors now performing on their own hook at the theatre royal ebersham if i am not on the stage before eight o'clock to-night our chances in that town are gone the provincial public having paid its shillings and sixpences will not brook disappointment you will hardly credit the fact perhaps sir but there are seven places taken in the dress circle paid in advance sir further secured by a donation to the box-keeper for this evening's performance conceive the feelings of those seven dress circles sir if matthew elgood is conspicuous by his absence that must not be sir returned maurice clissold gravely pedestrian wanderings have somewhat developed my organ of locality and if you like to trust yourself to my guidance i will do my best to navigate you in the desired direction is that young lady also required by the british public yes responded elgood indifferently she's in the first piece but we might send a ballet girl on for her part if as an afterthought we had any ballet the numerical strength of your commonwealth is limited i infer from your remark observed clissold as the stroller stepped through the gap in the hedge and joined those other strollers in the lane 
well sir lead on i follow thee when a manager puts it to his company roundly that he must either make it a commonwealth or shut up shop altogether the little people are generally the first to fall away the little people yes sir second walking gentleman ditto lady second chambermaid general utility second old man proverbially duffing and ballet the little people lack that confidence in their own genius which sustains a man under the fluctuations of a commonwealth they want the afflatus and when the ghost walks not the ghost in vulgar english when there is no treasury no reliable weekly stipend the little people collapse the second walking lady and chambermaid go home to their mothers the second old man opens a sweetstuff shop they fade and vanish from a profession they did nothing to adorn what is a commonwealth asked the younger gentleman interested by this glimpse of a strange world in a theatrical sense added clissold a theatrical commonwealth is a body without a head there is no responsible lessee the weekly funds are divided into so many shares each share representing half a sovereign the actor whose nominal salary is two pound ten takes five shares the actor whose ordinary pay is fifteen shillings claims but a share and a half and has his claim allowed i have known the shares to rise to fourteen and nine pence half penny i have seen them dwindle to one and seven pence thanks for the explanation does prosperity attend you in ebersham sir our receipts heretofore have been but middling our anchor of hope is the spring meeting which begins as you are doubtless aware to-morrow do you remain here long asked mr penwin the younger pedestrian a fortnight at most our next engagement is duffield thence we proceed to humberston then slingerford after which we separate to seek fresh woods and pastures new mr penwin looked at the vagabond wonderingly the man spoke so lightly of his fortuitous life james penwin of penwin manor cornwall had been brought up like the danish princess who discovered the presence of the pea under seven feather beds and seven mattresses he had never been inconvenienced in his life and this encounter with a fellow-creature who anatomically resembled himself and yet belonged to a world so wide apart from his world at once interested and amused him he pitied the stroller with a serio-comic pity as he might have compassionated an octopus in an uncomfortable position perhaps there was never in this world a better-natured youth than this james penwin he had not the knack of sending his thoughts far afield never lost himself in a tangle of speculative fancies like his dark-eyed wide-browed friend and master maurice clissold but within its somewhat narrow limit his mind was clear as a crystal streamlet his first thought in every relation of life was to do a kindness he was a man whom sponges of every order and college scouts and cabmen and tavern waiters adore and for whom the wise and prudent apprehend a youth of waste and riot and an after-life of ruin i'll tell you what said he with a friendly air we'll come to the theatre to-night and see you act and the young lady with a critical glance at justina who walked close beside her father and did her best to extinguish herself in the shadow of mr elgood's bulky form it was as much as james penwood could do to get a glimpse of the girl's face which had a pale tired look just now huh thought james fine eyes but not particularly pretty rather a washed-out look sir said mr elgood you will confer at once honour and substantial benefit upon us poor players 
and if you like to take a peep at life behind the scenes my position in the theatre warrants my admitting you to that exoteric region i should like it of all things and we can sup together afterwards they've a decent cook at the inn where my friend and i are staying though it's only a roadside tavern you know it perhaps the waterfowl half a mile out of the town it's my friend's fancy that we should stop there it's your friend's necessity that he should avoid costly hotels said maurice lightly they had crossed a couple of meadows where young lambs scuttled off at the sight of them bleating vehemently and now came to a green lane a long grassy gully between tall hedges where the earliest of the dog-roses were budding creamy white amidst tender green leaves mr penwin took advantage of the change to slip behind mr elgood and place himself beside justina maurice looked after him darkly a too general worship of the fair sex was one of james penwin's foibles no decidedly she was not pretty thought james after a closer inspection of the pale young face with its somewhat pensive mouth and greyish-blue eyes she blushed a little as he looked at her and the delicate rose tint became the oval cheek all the lines of her face were too sharp for want of that filling out and rounding of angles which is the ripening of beauty she was like a pale greenish-hued peach on a wall in early june to which july and august will bring roundness velvety texture and richest bloom i hope you are not very tired said james gently not very answered justina with an involuntary sigh we had a long rehearsal this morning yes there always must be long rehearsals while there are stupid people in a theatre interjected mr elgood with a sharpness which made the remark sound personal we are getting up a burlesque for the race nights gentlemen continued the actor faust and marguerite the last popular thing in london and my daughter knows as much about burlesque business as an eating-house waiter knows of a holiday are you fond of acting asked james confidentially ignoring mr elgood's remarks i hate it answered justina less shyly than she had spoken before there was something friendly in the young man's voice and manner which invited confidence and then he was so pleasant to look at with his small clearly cut features light auburn moustache crisp auburn hair cut close to the well-shaped head garments of rough grey tweed which looked more distinguished than any clothes justina had ever seen before thick cable chain and pendant locket a large dull gold locket with a gothic monogram in black enamel tawny gloves upon the small hands altogether a very different person from the tall man in the shabby shooting-coat leather gaiters and bulky boots who walked on the other side of mr elgood justina was young enough to be impressed by externals hate it exclaimed mr penwin i thought actresses always adored the stage and looked forward to acquiring the fame of an o'neill or a fawcett do they said justina those i know are like horses in a mill and go the same round year after year when i think that i may have to lead that kind of life till i die of old age i almost feel that i should like to drown myself if it wasn't wicked but then i haven't any talent i suppose it would all seem different if i were clever aren't you clever asked james smiling at her simplicity although not pretty she was far from unpleasing he was amused interested even but then he was always ready to interest himself in any tolerably attractive young woman maurice clissold fell away from the actor and walked beside his friend overlooking james and justina from his superior height there was plenty of space in the wide green lane for four to walk abreast no 
said justina confidentially not wishing her father to hear ungrateful murmurs against the art he respected i believe i'm very stupid if there is a point to be made i generally miss it speak too fast or too slow or drop my voice at the end of a speech or raise it too soon even in francois i didn't get around the other night you know francois haven't the honour of his acquaintance the page in richelieu he has a grand speech one is bound to get a tremendous round of applause but somehow i missed it father said he should like to have boxed my ears he didn't do it i hope no but it was almost as bad he said it before everybody in the green room i understand like a fellow saying something unpleasant of one at one's club they came to the end of the green lane at last it opened upon a level sweep of land across which they saw the city all its roofs and walls steeped in the westering sunlight the ground was marshy and between low rush-grown banks gently flowed the ebor a narrow river that wound its sinuous course around the outskirts of ebersham without entering the city i have not led you astray you see sir said maurice behold the cathedral yonder path by the water's edge will bring us to the lower end of the town we have to thank you for extrication from a difficulty sir replied mr elgood with dignity you have brought us a shorter way than that which my daughter and i traversed when we came out this afternoon they followed the river-path a tow-path along which slow clumsy horses were wont to drag the lingering chain of a heavily laden barge the dark green rushes shivered in the west wind the slow river was gently rippled the city had a look of unspeakable stillness like a city in a picture halfway along the tow-path they encountered some stragglers a man laden with oaken mats who walked wide of his companions on the marshy ground outside the path a boy running here and there at random chasing the small yellow butterflies and shouting at them in the ardour of the chase an elderly woman of the gypsy race carrying a string of light fancy baskets across her shoulder that's the worst of a race meeting said james penwin with reference to these nomads it brings together such a lot of rabble one of the rabble stopped and blocked his pathway it was the elderly gypsy woman let me tell your fortune my pretty gentleman she said pouncing on mr penwin as if she had discovered his superior wealth at a glance cross the poor gypsy's hand with a bit of silver half a crown won't hurt you my pretty gentleman you've riches in your face you've never known what it is to want a sovereign and never will the world was made for such as you avaunt harridan cried the tragedian and suffer us to proceed what you'd like to spoil my market would you cried the sibyl vindictively no one was ever a penny the richer for your generosity and no one will be a penny the worse off when you're dead and gone except yourself let me tell your fortune pretty gentlemen she went on laying a persuasive hand on jane penwin's grey sleeve and keeping up with the pedestrians as they strove to pass her there's plenty of pleasant things the old gypsy woman can tell you you're a gentleman that likes a dark blue eye and there's an eye that looks kindly upon you now and though there's crosses for true lovers all will come out happy in the end if you'll listen to the old gypsy james laughed and flung the prophetess a florin show me your hand kind gentleman she urged after a string of thanks and benedictions your left hand yes there's the mount of venus and not an ugly line across it and you've a long thumb my pretty gentleman 
long between the first joint and the second that means strength of will for the thumb is jupiter and rules the house of life don't take your hand away pretty gentleman let's see the line what's the matter mother asked james as the woman stopped in the middle of a sentence still holding his hand and staring at the palm steadfastly with a scared look what's that she asked pointing to a short indented line across the palm why what keen eyes you have old lady that's the mark of a hole i dug in my palm two years ago cutting a tough bit of cavendish my scout told me i was bound to have lockjaw but i didn't realize his expectations i suppose lockjaw doesn't run in our family right across the line of life muttered the gypsy still examining the seam left by the knife upon the pinkish womanish palm does that mean anything bad that i am to die young for instance the scar of a knife can't overrule the planets replied the sibyl sententiously End of volume one chapter one